Welcome to episode 10 of After the Breach, a podcast for whale enthusiasts by whale enthusiasts. We are your hosts from Friday Harbor on San Juan Island, Washington, Whale Watch captains and professional guides Jeff Friedman and Sarah Shimazu. We have a great episode today, and joining us as our guest is Christine Caruso, filmmaker and director behind the award-winning 2022 documentary Corky. It is the story of the world's longest-held captive orca, the changing sentiment about orcas in captivity, and the rise of sea sanctuaries. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Christine. Hey, Jeff. Uh, Christine, thanks for joining us tonight. We're really grateful that you take some time out of your day to, to chat with us about Corky. Hi, Jeff and Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's great great for you to be on. Really appreciate it. Uh, tell us a little bit about, about you. We're going to be talking about your, your film, but tell us a little bit about you and your background, what, what you do, and, and, and let's start there. Well, I am not um, an actual filmmaker. I mean, I guess I could say I am now, but going into this, um, I, I'm actually a full-time teacher um, and um, ele- uh, elementary kindergarten teacher. <laughs> and um I just I've always loved watching documentaries. I just um I, I love learning like the story about people or nature or um even the story behind the story. So I've always just loved watching documentaries. Well, uh, you clearly have a passion uh for it because it's it, it creating a film is not an easy uh, undertaking uh even it for a quote unquote filmmaker. Yeah, um, and you are officially a filmmaker now, and it was stunning. It was a stunning documentary. We're we're, we're gonna yeah <laughs> yeah we're we're gonna get uh talk lots about the the documentary. So the documentary is about uh, Corky, who was captured in 1969. Uh, Corky is a we talk a lot about on our podcast about Southern resident killer whales. Uh, we talked a little bit in the last episode with Gary about Northern killer whales. And Corky is a member of the northern killer whale population. Uh, yeah, yeah, northern resident killer whales. So um, for those of our listeners that aren't familiar with them, northern resident killer whales are very similar to our southern resident killer whales. They're salmon specialists. So um, they are a larger population than the southern residents. We're estimating somewhere about around 300, 300 now, right now. Yeah. Um, and they're split into clans. And, and it talks about this in the documentary. It's so great to hear um, a little bit about them, but uh, three acoustic clans. So A, G, and R, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And Corky is a member of them. And and they, they were are a population or were a population that was targeted just like Southern residents, like our Biggs killer whales um, by the live captures during the sixties and seventies for, for Marine parks. Yeah. A a major distinction between the Northern and the Southern, uh, the, the size of the population certainly. And where they are. I I left that part out, but where they are um, mostly inhabiting Northern Vancouver Island um, up into the BC main, uh, you know, coastal region and even into Southeast Alaska. And and they've been, um, I heard at least acoustically off the coast of Washington recently as well. Yeah. And, and they are, they're, their numbers are above uh, what was estimated pre-capture numbers, um, and so their their population is doing much better than the the southern residents. And the southern residents are just one clan, You're right? J clan, J clan. Um, but Christine, tell us about uh, Corky, if you don't mind specifically, and and how did you learn about her, and and who is she? Yeah. So. Um... You know, I grew up in a city, um, I I grew up on the East Coast, so I wasn't really connected with orcas at all. 
Um, so I just happened to watch um, Blackfish when it came out. And it really, it moved me so much. And I watched it a few times. And um, I just felt compelled to learn more about orcas, um, both captive and wild. And, you know, with Google and the internet, it just kind of led me on this, just this chain of events and this trail. And I was, you know, learning about all the different orcas in captivity. And then I came across Corky. And I mean, her story was so fascinating. I mean, she's the longest held orca in captivity. She was captured in the wild at a young age and um, just everything she's endured. Um, and also, not only that, but I also was learning about the people who have been advocating for her for decades. And um, so it, I just felt like it was a fascinating story. So, you know, and, you know, new things would come out, like, you know, her capture anniversary is coming up actually on Sunday. So, you know, um, whenever it's December, I'm kind of, you know, watching the news and there's a, a surprise. There's like a new article about Corky and I didn't know this or I didn't know this. So, you know, it's just a journey that's been um, probably six or so years that I've been on. That's amazing. So I, I you know, I've forgotten that um, her capture was, was early December. And so I think we're going to have to, uh, launch the, this, publish this podcast on, on the, her anniversary, uh, in, in honor of her. Yeah, that seems fitting. And, uh, and your film. So yeah, that does, does, does seem fitting. How, so how do you go from, um, it's just amazing. And we talk a lot of, we've talked a lot on previous episodes about passion and, and I mean, how, how do you go from being drawn into to Corky's story um, to saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make a film. <laughs> you know, it, there were so many events that kind of pushed me in that direction. So, you know, first I'm researching online and then next thing I know, there's this Kiss the Sky concert in Seattle, and it was, you know, to benefit the orcas. And I, I met Dr. Paul Spong. And um, then I had known about the banner. I saw a video on YouTube about the Corky Freedom banner. And um, I asked Dr. Spong if I could. I said I wanted to display it. And he's like, well, you know, email me. And so it kind of led to just me um, actually getting the banner out of storage and displaying it and um, kind of reviving it. And um, so, yeah, it's just, and then I, along the way, I also, um, you know, I met Teresa Demarest. She did a film, Keiko, The Untold Story. And just seeing her, and she was like a normal person like me, not a filmmaker. And she just had to make this film about Keiko. And I, I liked the film and I met with her in Oregon and, you know, she kind of, I just, I think just meeting her gave me the confidence. Like, first I was like, I think I'll just, you know, make a YouTube about Corky because um, there's all these facts about her out there, but they're not in like a storyline, like a sequence where you kind of learn about, you know, everything about her and the people who have advocated for her. So, um, yeah, so then that just led me to thinking, oh, I'll make a YouTube. And then um, I thought, well, maybe I'll make a children's book. I didn't really know what I wanted. I had all this information. And I thought it was interesting and I thought it would be interesting to other people. And um, so I'm thinking maybe I'll write a children's book. Maybe I'll do a YouTube. So then I started interviewing people because I started meeting some of these um, scientists and advocates. And, you know, I have my little iPhone and I'm, 
you know, interviewing Paul Fung and, um, you know, uh, uh, some other people. And um, it just kind of turns into this thing where I went to California and I was going to interview Charles Vinnick. And I just randomly online found this camera guy, George. And um, so he met me um, and, did, you know, he filmed the um, interview with Charles Vinnick. And when we left, he was like, that was such a good interview. And he actually encouraged me to make it into a film. And I said, I don't even know what I'm doing. And he <laughs> said, I'll help you get started. So it kind of went from YouTube to now it's this documentary. And it was just like a series of meeting people. And I, I was so, I could almost cheer up. I mean, so many people, when they heard me talking, like you could probably hear I'm starting to get <laughs> excited. Yeah. Um when they they saw my passion and you know it helps being a teacher um you know they just people wanted to help and so many people like donated their time or footage that they had a lot of archival footage and current footage so it was just a series of meeting people who were who felt like I did and they just wanted to help so that was really phenomenal it's a, it's amazing and and th- it fits the theme with what we talk about when you're following your your something you're really passionate about. Um, it just seems like the, the right people show up, the path forward you know, reveals itself. If you're authentically passionate about something, it, it's, you, you can accomplish anything like making an amazing documentary film. And the, the people that you connected with that are in the film, I, I mean, it's an incredible uh, group of, of different experts and in in different areas and Charles Vinnick for people that that are listeners that aren't aware he's with the the whale sanctuary project um you had Alexander Morton Dr. Paul Spong uh Jeff Ventry who we had on in a previous episode uh from from Blackfish I mean just the the number of people the the authenticity and quality and emotion of the interviews uh were were just absolutely incredible and I think it really speaks to to the passion that these whales and these individual whales and, and Corky and whoever inspire in us. Like, we are definitely a community because of them. And I, I know that sounds silly, maybe, but um, they inspire so much in us that um, I think it makes it possible. I agree. I mean, this, this might sound corny to, for me to say, but I really feel like I'm a better person because of Corky, because I what I learned about her strength and her endurance and also what I learned about, you know, like I said, the people who have known her for many decades also. Yeah, absolutely. Nope. Sounds, sounds great. Um, and, you know, Jeff and I saw the film. We just watched the film again um, just before we got on, on with you. And I think one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you is, you know, when we go into viewing something and, you know, I'm going to use kind of Blackfish as an example. When I first went into viewing Blackfish, um, I had some like preconceived ideas. Like I, I had known the whales, you know, for a, a long time by that point, And I knew how I felt about captivity. Um, but as we go into like these kind of new endeavors and, and um, projects, we maybe have these preconceived ideas um, and still things surprise us or shock us. Was there something during the filming of Corky that, you know, stands out to you as like this pivotal moment or this like kind of, you know, cl- the clouds open, you know, clouds part and sun comes out and it's just like, I don't know, you know, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Does that sound weird? Yeah. Um, 
Well, I would say, you know, when I was learning about her time at Marine Lands, um, the place where she was before SeaWorld, um, and I, I think what really struck me um, that surprised me was when um, Corky was at Marine Lands, and Marine Lands was sold to SeaWorld. Um, they were putting Corky, who was in the um, Corky's like tank mate, and he was also a relative of Corky's. So they put Orky in a sling first. And when they were taking him out of the water, she was trying to get into the sling with him. And that just wow. blew me away. Like she didn't want to be left behind. Like she didn't want to be alone in the tank or like she knew once he was in that sling, he was gone because that's how her babies left. You know, when they, when they died, they left, you know, they were taken out in the sling. So I was just blown away that, she she did that like she's trying to get in the sling with him i mean can you imagine seeing that right right and i mean really like the slings have had a negative impact on her since the beginning i mean she was lifted out of the cove in a sling and taken from her family and watched how many whales taken before her um you know before she was sold so uh, yeah that was one of the moments in in the film that really struck me too was was that the, the emotion, uh, yeah. the emotion that, that these animals have. I mean, we, we see examples in, in the wild when we're, we're out watching killer whales, but these are, these are really uh, up-close, um, horrific. Yeah. Uh, you know, unlike what we see, like we see the, the, the beautiful family side of, of their emotions and their community uh, side. These are, these are... These are things that in a, in a captive environment that are, um, you know, they really pull at your heart and, 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 and make, it's, it's very sad. Um, I think there, we're, we're going to talk a lot about this. I mean, I, I can't say enough that everybody should, should watch this film and we'll, we'll, we'll let everybody know it'll be in the show notes and we'll, we'll talk in a, in a few minutes about where they can see it. But uh, Sarah, what, uh, what jumped out? Was there something that jumped out? Uh, for you there was and i think i made you pause the film like when we were watching it uh oh yeah and christine probably will recognize this piece too but it was when she when they uh she was in in marine land and alex was talking about um how they would kind of rest at night and then they would start just before the sun came up like moving around the tank with some more speed and squirting water um at the side of the tank and that was where the first the sun first hit the water and it as the you know seasons changed and the sun moves it was still they still always knew the spot where the sun was going to hit the water and um it it really struck me because we you know for for people that have worked with alongside whales in the wild these whales in the wild um you know we often convey the biology and the physiology of these whales and but there's there's a mysticism to them there there is something deeper there is something more more to it and it's hard to put into words and um there are people that will look at you like you're crazy for saying it but there's really something to it was almost like a ceremony to them and we see ceremonies um out here in the wild with these whales and it just really struck me um that that piece yeah that that whole the whole um sunlight ceremony that corky and orky had was just 
really incredible to to hear um, Alexander Morton talking about that and 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 to see some of the photos. The there. image of her like spy hopping at the tank wall with her tongue out, like touching where the where the sun, where the was, sun hitting. was hitting. It just, I mean, it just even talking about it sends chills yeah. down my spine. Yeah, and just how you know it was like a signal that you know the day is starting and they would get active and they would kind of roll around and. You know, just to be in a room with Alexandra Morton interviewing her, and I'm like kind of crying through the whole interview because, um, you know, she she was right there. I mean, she spent so many hours next to Corky and Orky, and um, I really highly recommend her book, um, Listening to Whales. Yes. Um, yeah. That, that it really it chronicles her time there. Yeah, great. Fantastic book. And uh, you may, just made me realize. I think you're, you're you're very very right on. A lot of what we know about Corky um, is because of her. It's yeah. it's because mm-hmm. she ge- can give a firsthand account of the stories, um, and and I think because of that, in some ways, I we know Corky better than I think we know any other captive whale, especially from yeah. not not you know not I, I've I've. I've been to SeaWorld San Diego once. I saw Corky one time, but for not, but I've, I've, I've seen her family and feel like I know her as well as I would know her family because of the stories that Alexander was able to, to bring out of her work when, when she was at Marineland. Yeah. I I mean, I would argue definitely that she's, she's the most well, like understood known captive whale. I mean, even compared to Lolita Tokite, um, you know, there's a lot of questions about who her family is and we know generally who her pod is, but, um, we know individuals, um, that belong, you know, that Corky belongs in and is, you know, a part of, and Jeff, you had a very memorable experience that kind of started you on your whole r- road to where you are now with a member of her family. Yeah. Uh, a 61, uh, who's a, a cousin of hers and who I didn't realize that until I saw the film and saw, um, Corky's matriline and and her cousins laid out on the on the screen, and it, it this was back in I think two thousand nine or two thousand ten, and I was up in in Johnstone Strait in the summertime and had um, just an an epic encounter uh, on a kayak and had uh, several very close passes from her cousin A sixty one. And that experience, I wouldn't be here today. Um, that is the experience that if I had to go back and, and look at one moment that, that got me here as uh, a whale watching professional and a, a professional guide and a, and a whale advocate, um, it is that moment. that, And I knew it w- within two minutes of after it happened, I knew that my life had had changed and then seeing the match line in the film and realizing that wow this is this is one of Corky's relatives it it it's just one of those it just makes you stop and take a, a deep breath and and really think about about a lot of different things yeah so you did um the film won two awards uh the Friday Harbor Film Festival uh last month and well deserved well deserved and and <laughs> Not an easy thing. The Friday Harbor Film Festival gets great films, and there were a lot of really good films this year. And you won the um, Audience uh, Choice Awards for Tales from the Heart 
and the Audience Choice Awards for On Demand Best Feature. That's got to that's got to feel incredible. Yeah, I still can't believe it. I mean, you know, I went to the festival and I I watched so many of the films and I was I was like, oh, that one's going to win. You know, like I, there were so many good films. It was amazing. And even that night um, when they were announcing you know, the winners, I, I almost took the earlier ferry home because I had to go to school the next day. And I, I just, I really, you know, because there were so many good films and just to, you know, win the Tales of the Heart Audience Award, it was, was amazing. And I'm so glad I stayed and I took the late ferry and got home at like 1am, but that was okay. It was worth it. And it, it was just such a thrill because you know, like when you're making a film, like, you know, you like it, but you don't know, are other people going to like it? Are they going to like it as much as I do or half as much as I do? You know, you don't know. And just to be in the theater there watching the film with an audience, I purposely sat like in the middle of the theater. So I kind of had surround sounds of the audience. I just wanted to kind of feel them and hear them, you know, and um, just to kind of hear them gasp or kind of you know, almost cry at certain parts or kind of chuckle or, you know, just to kind of see their reactions or groan, you know, so it was just, it was like, yes, that's what I wanted. I wanted to evoke that emotion. And I didn't know if that was going to come through. And I, I think it, it was able to reach people and make them feel emotional. Yeah, absolutely. I will, um, I will share with our listeners uh, what I told you that night. Uh, at the screening at the the Friday Harbor Film Festival because I I met you back I think it was 2013 or 14. Um, I think so. I don't think you had you, the the documentary was not in in your line of sight nope. yet, but you were very excited because you were getting some of the Corky Banner out of storage. You were very excited about that, um, but that was as far as you had gotten, and so I didn't know what to expect when I went to see the film. Um, but I, you know, I've known you and I, I, I know, know your background and you're not a filmmaker blown away. I, it was such an emotional journey through the film. So well put together. The story was told so well, the people, as I mentioned, the people that were interviewed, um, the things that they said, um, the, the footage, the soundtrack, um, everything was so well done that at the end of it, and I remember saying this to you, this was as powerful a journey that I went through watching this film as I remember going through Blackfish my first time. Um, this was a, as yeah, powerful as, as Blackfish. And the 10th year anniversary is coming up um, of the 10th year anniversary of Blackfish. And to me, this is like the next step forward. Um, it would be... I would love to see, you know, everybody should see this film and people should tell their local film festivals. And it would be so cool for CNN for the 10th anniversary of Blackfish to get access to to Corky's film yeah. and, and push her story forward. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think so. And I really feel like there was something about your documentary that just... It was so personal because we, you know, it, it was not just about captivity and, and that, but it was about, well, I mean, obviously it was about quirky. It was about an individual and not just, you know, an animal or a whale. She, she is her own being. We, and we know that having been out with whales and knowing whales and, um, but it was about her, you know, 
and how how she's brought so many people together um, and advocating for her. And uh, yeah, so it was just uh, it was really, really powerful and beautiful. On on that note with bringing people together um, and getting back to the how I met you with the the Corky banner, the freedom banner. Um, that was one of the things that really struck me in the film. Cause I've, I've known about this banner for, for years, but then hearing that it was, it had contribution from people in 21 countries and all put together. The banner is a, a one and a half miles long is, are people still contributing to that? Where, like, where is the banner today? What, what, what's the story on that? Um, yeah, and you know, uh, Jeff, I want to I want to thank you because at that first Superpod when I met you, you were like so excited about the banner, and I was like, oh, somebody else knows about it, you know. <laughs> and you really, um, I think you were the one who let me give a little five minute presentation at the Whale Museum because I was going to do my first um, banner display in San Diego, right outside of SeaWorld. And you were like, okay, I'll set. And you kind of fit me in. You just let, like, you didn't even know who I was. And you just, like, let me do that. So that was my, I I really appreciated that. So you were one of the people who helped me on this journey. And I would really encourage everybody, please watch the ending credits in slow motion. Because you will see so dozens and dozens of people helped me with this. I mean, it's, it's, it's truly a group effort. That is awesome. Thank, uh, thank you. I I remember that really well of, of how excited you are with the, with the banner. Um, so wh- where is the banner now? So the banner is stored in the San Francisco Bay Area in a storage unit um, that Michael Reppy is in charge of. So Michael Reppy um, has been a longtime advocate for Corky. So what happened was when um, I got the banner from San Juan Island to San Diego, then um, it was stored there for a while. And then, um, you know, uh, circumstances changed and it was in a rental unit there for a while. And, you know, it gets expensive because every time you have a banner display, you got to rent the U-Haul, you got to find a bunch of people, um, pay for the storage unit, um, you know, kind of ship it around. So he's just storing it there for now. But what we what we and I would love to do this summer, I mean, I would just love to have more banner displays, you know, in, in the California, you know, anywhere in California, just kind of get it back out of storage. We had a couple, uh, we had a couple displays, you know, since, um, uh, you know, since I first met you. Um, but it, it is a big effort to, you know, the, the banner, I mean, it's, it's in like, you know, those big storage containers, you know, those big tubs you get at Target. I mean, it's in like 30 containers. So you, you know, it's, it's a big effort to get it out and lay it out and fold it back up and, you know, but it's, it's so worth it. And then you have to find the location, maybe get a permit. You know, we displayed it in um, Sacramento at the California state Capitol and, and it was beautiful. And assembly member Richard Bloom came out and looked at it, but you know, that was like a whole weekend and it was awesome. And um, we thought it would get on the news, but it didn't get on the news. So, you know, but I do want to have, um, I, I mean, I would love to get this film on CNN or a, a major streaming um, service and just kind of have things get the ball rolling and start having some banner displays. That would be awesome. Because I, I, I just, you know, and as a kindergarten teacher, when I see that banner, uh, I tear up every time because children made that banner. They, they painted these little 
patches of cloth and they were sewn together. And, you know, I, that's why I, I have some children in the film because I said there, there has to be, yeah, there's scientists and researchers sure. and everything in this film, but there also has to be children in this film. And we, we had a couple of children that were just so amazing. And um, I mean, in a way, this film is like my blackfish effect. This, yeah. You know, seeing blackfish literally led me to making this film. Yeah, the the parts with the kids making the banner and and was just I loved it. Um, I, I and I think David Howitt said in in the film too that it was um, kind of bringing these kids together, regardless of um, what SeaWorld decides to do. That um, you know there was this passion for advocating for these whales, for Corky, for for others, and and it was just so moving to see, um, you know, our next generation essentially um, taking up the cause, and it's just so um, they're hopeful, right? There's a lot of hope there. There is a lot a lot of hope, um, and you you mentioned Michael Reppy, and I, I know he he's involved with uh, you know some hopeful plans al- along with with many others. Can you talk a little bit about? Um, what what the hope is for for Corky in in trying to get her uh, retired back to her home waters and and cared for uh, obviously not I, I don't know that she'd ever be a candidate for release but at least retired back to uh, her natural environment in in her home waters. Yeah. So what what a lot of people want is for Corky to be retired to to her home waters in a sanctuary and and to not be released. She would be under human care. Um, and in the film, Michael Reppy and Dr. Paul Spong both welcome, you know, let's partner with you. Let's partner with SeaWorld. You know, it could even be SeaWorld staff taking care of her. And uh, Michael Reppy owns a lodge in Double Bay, which is on Hanson Island. And he's, he's sprucing it up and he's making efforts to have it ready to be a sanctuary site. So he would love to have Corky retired there along with SeaWorld's participation. Um, and yeah, so that's what he's been working on. And as far as other efforts, um, I think just the sanctuary movement in general, you know, as mentioned in the film, you know, there are some different sanctuaries in, in the process of being created um, and some that are out there also. So um, yes, that's the hope that she is retired under human care uh, but she's, you know, in her natural habitat. And, um, you know, it, it is, um, you know, she would, it's possible her family would pass by. Maybe they would come into the bay, but she would be, you know, in like that kind of netted off area. Sure. One of the things I've thought about this for a while in, in terms of Corky and also uh, with possibilities of for uh, Lolita being retired, the, just the idea of them in their natural habitat. And then for the first time for Corky would be over 50 years of hearing other killer whales that speak her language and that, that are using her family's calls and, and just giving that experience to her back to her. And, and then from a, a human who just loves killer whales, the fascination of what that must, like what would be going through Corky's mind at that point, and like just being able to hear with a hydrophone the calls going back and forth. I, I just, I cannot, I can't want that enough. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I mean, and not just there, right? But like the feel of the tides going in and out, the sound of kelp, um, you know, rubbing together and the shrimp and anything like all those natural sounds that she surely, knowing how, how sentient and how emotional and how good their memories are, um, she must remember from she was you know probably five I think when she was taken estimated to be about five years old um just all of that too being able to swim in a straight line yeah um, yeah I think I saw the the bluff I think it was 25 acres I think or the the bay um so yeah being able to swim in one direction without having to you know turn after one or two swipes of your your tail yeah um, is there a way? Pe- oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, um, I, you know, I, I kind of have this like dream of, you know, um, when I think about Keiko, he was trained to follow a walk boat. Like, so he would follow this boat and they would ring a tone and he would come back. I mean, I, I don't even know if that would even be possible, you know, <laughs> but um, I just even dream about, you know, could that happen with Corky where she's in a sanctuary, but she could go on these ocean, you know, journeys with a walk boat and then come back. I mean, that would, that would be so awesome. Right. That would be incredible. I mean, one thing that we are continually learning about these animals is they're, they're smarter and more capable and more independent than, than I think we often give them credit for. I mean, they're, I, I think I think the most advanced animals on this planet, but that's, that's, yeah, that's no, I me. agree. I agree. Um, and I, I, yeah, the, the ocean walks with Keiko, um, and applying that in a quirky situation would be amazing. I also makes me think of Springer and when Springer was brought back and her family showed up almost immediately and, um, yeah, just a lot of emotions there. And look at, look at Springer today. Right. So, I mean, they constantly surprise us, right? The one thing I, I know for certain about orcas is that I don't know hardly anything at all. Like, I, I will con- I'm constantly learning even after 20-plus years of being around them. Always. They're always teaching us something if, if, we, if we listen and look. Yep. Um, are there, how can people get involved with, uh, with efforts to uh, uh, retire Corky? Um, I would say um, follow Michael Reppy. He has the website, um, doublebaysanctuary.org. And um, Michael Reppy, I, I forgot to mention this before. He did, um, he mailed a request for a meeting. He wants to have a meeting with SeaWorld, but they haven't responded. And at the, if he were to have a meeting with them, he would present a proposal, you know, offering his site for a retirement home. So I would say doublebaysanctuary.org. Also, um, uh, the ending card in the film um, talks about Steve Wise and the Non-Human Rights Project. Mm -hmm. Um, I would follow the Non-Human Rights Project. Um, They they are working on different court cases to try to get legal personhood for um, some elephants and primates. And it was announced that they do want to start advocating for personhood for orcas. So um, when that comes about, um, possibly next year, um, I'm not exactly sure, but I would I would follow Non-Human Rights Project also. And um, orcalab.org, they um, 
study the Northern residents. And um, also Jared Towers um, mm-hmm. has a website, Cetology, is yeah. that how you say it? Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I would, I would follow Jared's stuff too. Yeah. Th- those are all, all great, uh, great sources and we'll post links in the, in the show notes. Um, but yeah, we're hoping to get, get Jared on a, on a future episode and or uh, five or 10. Or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's got so much amazing, um, research to share. Oh, I'm so glad he was in the film just talking about the Northern residents and the rubbing beaches. It, it was yeah. just so per, and you know, he, he really, it took three tries. Um, there was some technical difficulties. So he was interviewed <laughs> three different times <laughs> and we were, we were lucky on the third and he was always so gracious and willing to give his time. And I, I'm so glad that it worked out. Yeah. yeah. I think he always gives great interviews. Um, you know, he's very well-spoken and, uh, Paul Spong has a way of speaking just so calmly and eloquently and like finishing up like I think it was his last I won't spoil it but his last quote in the movie just grabs your heart mm-hmm. and it, it it's it's I mean it gives you chills and just it, it's a powerful quote and I I think that's very him I think he has has that kind of uh yeah. Impact. And you know, you know, who, you know, who else surprised me by getting very emotional was um, Dr. Jason Colby, um, who wrote a book about the orca captures. And, um, you know, he was very emotional, you know, being in the room with him, you could see him cheering up and, you know, just, um, you know, to make that statement that, you know, orcas shouldn't be in captivity and um, just how he felt about Corky that that really moved me a lot because he, he was very emotional and passionate about that. Yeah. Yeah. There were a few quotes that in, he had in the, in the documentary that I actually wrote down. Um, Cause just, yeah, very, very well-spoken and you could, you could just tell. Yeah. So where, where can see people see the film now uh, prior to CNN and uh, yeah, buying it? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yeah. So, so right now it's on Amazon, um, but only in the U S and UK, that was all that was available to me. So I just kind of self-published on Amazon and it's also on, so, and then it's on Vimeo and you could watch worldwide. It's on Vimeo. So you could watch it those two ways right now. Awesome. We'll definitely post links in the show notes to, to that. And we highly recommend that all of our listeners check check out the film Corky. It is so powerful and it's so moving and her story needs to be shared. So watch it, share it with friends um, and and get involved. Um, she she is really uh, a, a whale and a, and a being that, that really needs people's support um, and to get home and, and give her a good good retirement in, in her home waters. Yeah, and thank you so much, Christine, for sharing her story with us in such a poignant and and really beautiful uh, medium, and for joining us tonight to talk about her. Yeah, thank you so much, Christine, for for joining us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And thank you for for making such an an awesome documentary. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. And pain. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that was uh, that was really incredible. And again, everyone should see this this film. And you know, wh- however you can get involved in in the campaign to retire Corky. Yeah, it definitely was uh, heart wrenching and and really beautiful and, and a lovely film 
overall and just, I mean, yeah, I, I'm speechless. I'm going to have to go back and watch it again just because there were so many parts that left me, you know, heartbroken and hopeful and everything at once, you know. It's it's an emotional journey, and you said this really well earlier. Uh, it, it's a, a very personal story. Um, you know, Blackfish was about, I mean, Blackfish had personal stories in it. Mm-hmm. This is really a personal story about Quirky. Yeah, yeah. Um, so very, very different from Blackfish. Uh, different, kind of a different um, feel to it, but equally as powerful. And it really, it, it is, this is her story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you really, you you learn so much about what she's been through in a very personal way to her. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, we're going to post everything in the show notes and check out the film yeah. uh, and let us know what you think. Uh, send us uh, some. We'd love to hear what, what your thoughts are on, yeah, on the film. Yeah, any questions and, you have or suggestions on where, you know, we can promote it or Christine can promote it too would be great if you have, you know, thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, you can email us after the breach podcast at gmail.com. You can get uh, our Instagram and Facebook contact info on our, off our website. Uh, after the breach podcast.com uh, can't leave an uh, episode without talking about some recent sightings and we haven't had that many because it's been freaking cold outside it's been <laughs> cold uh, it's that time of year where it's cold we get some some days where it's just really windy and you don't want to be on the water um, and not as many people are coming to visit uh, Friday Harbor in the San Juan Islands so we're not not out quite as much uh, well we haven't really been out the Hardly last couple all. weeks at all. Um, however, the southern resident killer whales uh, have still been down in Puget Sound. Uh, I know K-Pod was there yesterday. Yeah, Jays have been up north in the Strait of Georgia, and I just got a message. It sounds like they may have been heard on the Port Townsend Hydrophone this evening as Ks went up out of Admiralty. Jays were coming down like maybe they knew that they were coming to meet them. They must have snuck down Rosario Strait. It's, it's so incredible, and this... Yeah, I saw a post on uh, one of the Facebook threads on one of the pages talking about uh, K-Pod yesterday. Mm -hmm. And somebody posted, like, wow, the the Southern residents have been in Puget Sound Mm -hmm. uh, quite a lot this winter. Yeah. Is this normal? And this goes back to what we (laughs) were kind of... Right. We we talked about this with Gary, and we keep saying this. Whatever the book of normal is for Southern residents, throw it out. That is history. They are rewriting the book. Yeah, and we really don't have any understanding of what's, I mean, normal for them, right? We've been watching them for, what, 40 years, 50 years, and they've been their own beings since time immemorial, right? Right. We we are the scratching the tip of the iceberg on our understanding of them. So um, I do, I, I did hear that the chum runs in Puget Sound, returning chum, um, were like, double what was expected so wow like i i'm just throwing a number out there and i forgive me but i think it was like six hundred thousand returning that, I don't that's know. great i mean I'll that to, is i'll have to check that is what they are going after this time of year typically mm-hmm. uh but there must be so much that that all three pods have been down there at some points and yeah and you know it it just it shows that they'll go where the food is and that they know they know where that is more than yeah. 
more than we do. And the T's, there have been a couple T families down there. The T-137s, 137s were down there for, for several days. Well, over a week, I think. Um, and then yesterday, was it a lone male? I think it was, I think it was, it was by himself. Yeah, was it 49A1? I think it was 49A1 was seen off Victoria, I think even in Victoria Harbor at one point. And the T-18s were seen going through Active Pass with, with? the 34s and 37s. Oh, yeah, I saw and that. with the new calf. Yeah. Uh, would love to see a photo of that new calf. Uh, next to next Galliano. Next to Galliano. Yeah. And I, I really do, too, just love seeing the new calf, like, throughout the weeks and watching how much they grow so fast. It's incredible. Especially the bigs. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. They get big and chunky very quickly. They do. Chunky whales. We like we like them chunky. So uh, just a, a couple of promos for coming up uh, episodes. Sarah is about to embark on an Australian adventure. Uh, she's going to be spending <laughs> time down in Bremer Bay off southwest Australia, uh, in western Australia. Yep. Uh, with the Bremer Canyon killer whales. Mm-hmm. Uh, just give us a brief highlight of those and i cannot well, wait to hear you could stories. probably do it just as well as i could because you've been down there as well but yeah we're head or i'm heading down there um, i wish it was we i wish it was we too um there's a population of killer whales that are seen off uh the south coast of western australia and they are fairly newly discovered you know 15 20 years ago they were kind of found out it's like 35 miles offshore over this deep water canyon or complex of canyons. And they are, you know, out there and there's not a whole lot known, though more every year. And there's a couple companies and, and researchers out there. Um, but we know they eat beaked whales. And uh, mola mola. <laughs> we did see them take a big bite out of mola mola while we were down there last time. I think they they, um, they took take squid, whales. squid from sperm whales, From I think somebody was saying. Yeah, yeah, who knows? Um, so, yeah, I'll be heading down there and spending the month of January out out on the water there. So we're going to do a, an episode. Uh, obviously, Sarah and I won't be in the same place for that one, <laughs> no. unfortunately. But we're going to do an episode and get some of the stories uh, from Sarah, from her adventures, and hear some more interesting things and about the Bremer Canyon killer whales and, and get some photos and videos that she's taking this season while she's down there. Uh, and then, then you're coming back for a couple days for a couple days. And, and then I'm going to fly down and meet you and the rest of the gang down in the silver bank yep. to go swim with uh, whales. the at- North Atlanta humpbacks in the uh, sanctuary for marine mammals of the Dominican Republic. And we, um, if you want to hear, we're going to have an episode coming up after that, that's going to be a trip report. But if you're curious about how that works and how swimming with humpbacks works, and you're interested in doing that at some point, uh, we had episode seven, um, with Gene Flipsy from conscious breath adventures, uh, who we were going out with, we've been out with him before. Uh, and we are probably going to put together a trip with him in 2025, well, that's yeah, I'm I'm down. And if any of our listeners are interested in, uh, there's you don't have to commit to anything now. But if you're interested in doing something like send that, send us an email. Send us an email. Take a listen to episode seven, and and then send us an email to after the breach podcast at gmail dot com, and let us know if you're you're interested in in joining us. You can also, if you want more information about that trip, it's uh, consciousbreathadventures dot com. 
uh, which is also in the show. It's notes a life changing experience, and I think we talked about that in episode seven. But um, yeah, give give episode seven a, a listen to. You'll go um, down there, and you you don't come back the same, and in a good way, not in a bad way. And watch the film Corky. Uh, share it with your friends. Uh, post it on social media, and let us know what you think of it. And get get involved to to help re- retire Corky. And send us info, your, any questions or feedback. Yeah, I think we would like to do a, a question and answer uh, episode in the not so distant future. We probably end that. up being next spring. but um, we, we, we could also do that, that when you're in Australia, too. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, but yeah, send us send us info. Share the If you're enjoying these podcasts, share it with your friends. Uh, post it on social media. And thanks for joining us. Yeah, guys, thanks for listening. Bye, Sarah. See you later, Jeff.